There are 574 tribal nations represented across the United States. They each have their own cultural richness, way of living, and customs. They also have health disparities and trouble with the acquisition of resources. Tribal Health, the podcast, wants to shed light on them and bring solutions available to improve access for tribal and indigenous communities. And now, your host, Mario Trujillo. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Tribal Health, the podcast. You got me, Mario, here. I'm excited about this next guest that we have. A native Arizonan kind of travels all over the state and passes through our neck of the woods in Phoenix. We have Dr. Michael Katutwa Johnson from the University of Arizona. Hey, I'm going to throw it to you. You know yourself better than me reading your bio. So tell us about yourself. Thanks, Mario. I just started this position here at the University of Arizona in the School of Natural Resources in the environment, but I'm also affiliated with our new uh, Indigenous Resilience Center, which focuses on food, water, and energy, the nexus of that. And so, but most importantly, I'm about a 250th generation Hopi farmer. Uh, we've been farming up there in the semi-arid plat Colorado plateau for at least the last 3,000 years. And so a lot of the knowledge that I'm bringing is predicated and at some point I know will help with human health. And I'm sure we can get around to talking about some of the projects that I'm currently working on and some of my future ideas for that particular topic. Awesome. You said 250th generation? Yeah. I. How did you keep track of that? <laughs> <laughs> I know we don't have Ancestry.com here, right? <laughs> but we have our DNAs. A lot of that's recorded in our corn, in our maize, they yeah. call it. And yeah. our creation story starts at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. But when we look at it totally, we did migrate from down south. And so I'm counting all those indigenous people who we belong to a long time ago. And so, but I know that we've always traveled with corn and corn is like considered our mother. And so that's how I'm basing that on. And so that's how I'm able to keep track on it. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, I honestly don't know where to start. You have an incredible background in education and then the work that you do now. I honestly, I want to know everything, really. Okay. <laughs> but um, tell me how you got to where you are. When I was a young boy, my father, he was in the military. And so he sent me to live with my grandfather during the summertime on the Hopi reservation. And so out of about the age 10 is when I first got indoctrinated. I'm not really indoctrinated, but start to understand the Hopi way when it comes to agriculture, how it's community-based, how when we do harvest, how the fields and, and the harvest belong to the women and how they distribute it across the community so that everybody has at least a taste of something that is good for them. And so that's how it started. And a real brief career thing, I went to school, Arizona State School of Music. I dropped out for a number of reasons. And then I went back and finished a degree at Cornell University in Ag and then a master's at Pepperdine. And then finally my PhD here at the University of Arizona Natural Resource Management. So that's kind of my whole career thing. I did work for the Natural Resource Conservation Service for a few years and a couple of nonprofits on the way to where I'm at currently. Awesome. And real quick, I know it's probably not going to be a focus of this podcast, but what did you play? You said Oh, actually, school? I didn't play anything. Actually, I, I sung. I was a bass oh, baritone. Right. I had a music degree in vocal performance. And in fact, this year in November, during Native Heritage Month, I'm going to be invited to sing at the national anthem at a men's basketball game here at oh, the University of Arizona. I still perform, but not as much as I used to. And Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to seeing that game and hopefully can see you. But 
Okay, I just needed to know what you played. I was in band growing up, so I needed. Oh, that was, and my brother was in band, but that, <laughs> oh, that was just a, basically a vocal major, classically trained vocal major. That's impressive too. What are you focusing on now? You're a professor at U of A. What are you teaching? I'm not the part of my stint here doesn't require me to teach. I think my teaching is basically done with the lectures that I give, some of the projects that I build, some of the mentoring that I'm offering other students here. That's basically where my teacher comes in. I'm a real person of taking somebody out to the field and showing them how things are done. But I'm also a real person is trying to help people navigate some of their own problems and situations when they do come through a system like this, like, like we have here, not only at the University of Arizona, but other institutions across the United States. Because my number one priority is to make sure people succeed in this environment. I think that's the most important thing because we need more people like myself in this area, especially in the STEM field, science, technology, environment, I mean, energy and, and math, I believe. I think we just need to have more of that. And so me being here is a very, very good thing. And, and having the university provide me the space I need and the resources that I need to do positive things for Native people, I think is very impactful. That's awesome. And now you said you take your students or those that you're mentoring to the land specifically? Yeah, I do. Recently, we had a project up in working on a solar passive greenhouse. It's on my traditional home that I've been building for 20 years. And we also, prior to that, we also took some students up there to help plant some of my fields up there on the Hopi Reservation. But I always work with members of my community too, because I hosted some fifth and sixth graders came up this last summer to learn a few things that I could teach them up there. And I think just having my own people come visit me, especially the youth, I think are very important to me as I begin my journey. Oh, that's awesome. Now, in I believe it was our most recent podcast, we spoke about climate change and sustainability. How does that fall into what you're doing now or what you have done? The Hopis in general, and there are other tribes, other Pueblo tribes, and even tribes throughout the United States, we've always had this ability to adapt to things like climate fluctuations. And a lot of that had to do with the types of food that we grew, because the food that we grow and still continue to grow, at least at Hopi and other places, is geared towards climate change because it's planted every single year. So if you have a crop that's been planted for 3,000 years, it's also met those challenges and it's also able to adapt. And so I think that's the direct link. It's the type of crops we've raised. It's basically the places that we've lived. A lot of tribes before relocation occurred, we knew our place, we were familiar with where we lived at, and we often used those resources that were provided, not for an economics, but for survival. And so what I see the link is today is just finding ways to bring back or revitalize those systems that are slowly but surely disappearing, but, but also still maintained in order to increase the health of our communities. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Now, I have spoken to a couple people about food education as it comes to Indigenous communities and the overall health benefits that come from that. And then the challenges of living on a reservation, on a Pueblo, in a rural area that is considered a food desert and the grocery stores don't have necessities or health necessities. Have you done education on that? Or what are you seeing as you you still are very close to the land and growing food, but is there a shift? Is there a challenge to try and bring 
people back? Well, unfortunately, a lot of the areas that we did up until about the 30s or 50s or 30 through the 50s, we were pretty self-sustaining, at least as Hopis. We'd grow our own food. We didn't really experience what they called the Great Depression when you had a lot of people from losing their jobs and things like that. We were pretty self-sustaining back then. I think what shifted is the matter is that we've kind of gone too far in adopting some of the, the principles that the Western world offers us, things like privatization, lack of communities, and things like that. So we've become more dependent upon the federal government there are tribes that were forced to basically come dependent on the federal government by being relocated and put on a reservation. Hopis have always been here. We were just surrounded by another indigenous tribe here, but we've always been here. And it's kind of the fault of our own people that we, we're not growing things like we used to. We should be doing that, but we aren't. So I'm just trying to find ways to actually grow out, increase the seed supplies so that I can give incentives not only to my own people, but be an example on trying to raise things again. What's kind of unique about that is that I'm not going to be sad if it doesn't become 100%, 80%, but make it 15, 20, 30%. Most people yeah. are doing that because there's really no separation, at least at Hope in other Pueblos and other places, there's really no separation between our spiritual and ceremonies and religious beliefs and our agricultural system. They're that entwined. And so we need to find ways to revitalize that because as we revitalize these crops, we're also revitalizing ourselves both from a spiritual aspect and also a physical and also an emotional aspect. And there's the link right there when it comes to Native health. It's that holistic approach of how we approach our thing. But it's really also dependent upon the relationships we have with the environment, not necessarily and the crops, not necessarily something that's made up or something that, that doesn't do the community any good. Yeah. And now, can you explain that a little bit more? You touched on it a little bit with spiritual and physical health and land health. How does that fully affect an individual, a community? I think sometimes when I look at, we always talk about the, the nutritional aspects of things and how good they are. I mean, the, these traditional crops are off the charts when it comes to mineral content, nutrient density, things like that. But there's so much more involved in that. And an example of that would be when I was building my house up at Hopi, I had put some seeds into plaster and, my, and I put them up in the walls. I was told to do that. And then a gentleman came down and asked me if I did that. And I told him I did, but I asked him, why did you have me do that? And he says, sometimes when we went through these droughts, we'd always do that in our homes so that we always were reminded that we had food in the house. Hmm. So do you see this? Do you see the psychology behind that? Even though you could not eat it, you had something to basically look forward to in some ways. And so it took your mind off of the off of your empty stomach and, and put it in someplace else. And so that's what I mean by when I talk about this holistic approach. And a lot, right along with that comes the prayers and everything else that we need to remember and the gratitude that we have. The whole land stewardship is very important, more so important in a lot of ways in the fact that this type of system basically provides the discipline necessary not to overexploit the land because you don't want to take go to the refrigerator and take everything out and have nothing to eat and so you want to be able to have a relationship so that you're both benefiting from that so as you're harvesting plants you're thinning some of those out that might be too abundant so others can grow and so it's its own, it has its own built-in environmental mechanism of what I call reciprocation or, or reposity to, to help each other out when it comes to some of these tough times and really help each other out when it comes to the good times. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and something that you said earlier with starting to plant things in the land again, it like revitalizes the land and then therefore it revitalizes us. That's so important to remember because it's our overall health, right? We're all connected. Mm -hmm. Now at U of A, 
you bring a different lens, I'm sure, uh, than other staff members. You bring an Indigenous lens. Even if there's other Indigenous staff members, you bring your specific lens from Hopi. Have you seen, or if you can explain the culture of your program at U of A, or you've seen differences that you bring in um, with the students there, because there's students of all different backgrounds in your program, I assume, um, but you bring a specific lens uh, that is so connected to the land. Um, what is being seen, taught, and done in that program? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of a, one of the very few, I think maybe the second, maybe the maybe th third indigenous person here in this particular natural resource department. But I always look at things from a holistic standpoint of view. And I think that's what's kind of, uh, of unique about what I do is that, and what that does to me, it makes me a good collaborator. It's trying to put those pieces back together so that people don't get siloed and that we're able to talk to each other. Because so much of what we do here at the University of Arizona is we try to talk to each other. We try to learn from each other. I'm by no means a, an expert in hydrology or no, a no expert in wildlife or no, no expert in fisheries. But what I can do is talk to those people to try to find solutions and also help them find different ways of looking at things so that we could be honest about this and put a value behind something. I think that's the thing that's missing in our society in America is that we're too focused on the techniques and processes that we're not looking hard enough at our own values that have been responsible for creating so much of this environmental challenges that we have nowadays. And so we need to start working on that. The students, they come up to me, they ask me, and I, I give as best advice as I can. People like to be listened to more than anything. And so that's what I'm able to offer here. I'm, I'm not as by no means a school counselor, but I like to give my advice and my experience of what I've been through in order to get to where I'm at right now. And more than anything, it's just to instill hope in people and give a sense of encouragement so that they can go and beyond where they're at right now. That's what it's really about. It's really about community. And so what I'm trying to bring here and what people are getting a little bit more aware of and actually helping now is to build this community of knowledge holders that's willing to share that information with other people. That's important. Mm, absolutely. And just bringing your values together. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah, so good. Wow. <laughs> I wish that I had this kind of education in in high school and college because I've been learning so much already from other people around the country, but this is so focused on the land and the food that we grow. I was speaking to someone, it was right when we first started the podcast and she was speaking, it was during COVID. Mm -hmm. She was from Alaska from a, a reservation up there. And she was speaking about when COVID hit, they couldn't get food delivered to them because it was only by boat or by plane. Mm -hmm. So then they had to work with the government to open up hunting off season to increase their crops to, they had to pivot around the season and it wasn't even season yet to sustain the people and to increase their health. And what you're doing is exactly that. It's getting more connected and building your own sustainability to promote the health of your people. Now, for those of us that live in a city, what would you recommend to us? Like, how can I create that without having land? You know, I just have my little balcony. Your little balcony is a valuable piece of land in itself. I think don't overestimate the power of seeds and the power of plants and the power of growing something. I think 
That's one thing. One of my dreams, and I talk about this quite frequently now, one of my dreams is to give a cup and give some soil and uh, some water and some seeds the first day of a child's class, like in Head Start, and have them grow that and have them watch it for a while or have her do that. And it's the beauty of that. I think people don't understand that when they're planting, it's not so much what comes up, but it's the act of planting. At least it is for Hopi. It's the act of faith we had that brings hope. And I think that's a beautiful thing to really think about, right? It doesn't take much to grow things. It really doesn't. We grow ourselves all the time, but we don't think about it like that, right? So what if we were to slow down enough to actually plant the seed, to watch it come up? I think we'd be a lot better off than what we are today, right? Even in your adult state, you should be trying this once in a while because it's not so much about whether that plant grows up or produces and has all these beautiful things, but it's watching it grow because you're watching yourself, Mario. And I think that's the most important thing that we can do is to slow down enough to watch ourselves and see the beautiful things in life and not get caught up in all the all the craziness that the cities bring us. And I mean, we're always worried about, oh, am I going to run this light or am I going <laughs> to am I going to have to stop here to get to point A and point B? And we don't slow ourselves down enough. But I'm telling you what, you go and buy yourself a little container somewhere, even a, even a seven up cup somewhere or whatever, Circle K, and put some soil in there, get some seeds somewhere and plant them and see what happens. Yeah. That's, that'd be so cool if you did that. Oh my gosh. After work today, I'm going to go to a nursery now and go get some seeds. <laughs> you should. Let me know how you feel about it. Or tell your listeners on the next podcast how that was for you. Yeah, I get so nervous with plants in my house because I tend to either overwater or forget about them. Mm -hmm. And I have this one plant I've had for two months and that's a record for me. I'm taking care of it, putting it out in the sun and everything. We'll see how long it lasts, but I'm intentionally taking care of it, which is bringing on a little bit more intentionality to my life in, okay, let's breathe. What do we need to take care of today? Mm -hmm. I hope we don't always have a crop. That's just the way it is out there. We plan and use some of our own ways to, for climbs that we have droughts and stuff like that, we plan it up to try to last us three or five years on a good year like it was this last year. But we don't have a crop every year. Sometimes we'll be raising a beautiful crop, like a watermelon patch I had about in 2015, and then a hailstorm comes and wipes it out. But oh, you know cool. what? It's not so much about that. Sure, I feel sad. I experience these emotions. That's important. But what I also experience is just the fact that I planted something in an arid climate where stuff like that's not supposed to grow. Mm. Right? And so that's my act of faith that I do every year. And I plant no matter if it's going to be a good year or a bad year. I don't plant as much as I would in a good year, but I still plant. And I think that's what we always need to do. We always need to have something to plant. And so you taking care of that little plant for two months or whatever it is, your record, <laughs> it's still a record, right? And yeah. so you look forward to something for tomorrow. And so you just got to keep doing that. And, and you never know what will happen. See, and that right there is health. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Most of our listeners and then our staff that we have all across the country in different reservations and healthcare facilities go to indigenous reservations and communities. Mm -hmm. They come from a very different background, usually, usually. Now, what advice would you give them as they enter in a new culture, new community, excited to give back? 
maybe I don't quite understand the question, but I think it's for me, it's about not what I take from this American society, not everything. I just take the good of it and give it back. But for me, when I leave heat, when I leave Hopi, I always give something to remind the people where I'm from to bring the recognition that we so lightly deserve as native people. We just hmm. we're still too much visioned as black and white creatures on a museum wall. And I think hmm. that's the misconception of the beautiness that we have to offer. Like for example, during the COVID area, there was a IHS hospital that was basically paid for by a tribe up in Oklahoma, and they were giving shots to non-Indians when the, when the, when their own communities of non-Indians wouldn't help them. And so the values in the heart of indigenous people is strong. So I think if anything you bring back is to create an example of what it's like to be an indigenous person who cares about everything and everyone, because that's traditionally for a lot of us, that's what it's about. There is no separation of race. It, it's all about helping each other. And I think that's a good thing. And I, we can still show that way, even though despite all the negativity that's been happening to us in the last 400 years, we can still be strong. We can still be what we can still demonstrate what resilience looks like. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's important to show that resilience that we're still here and also take care of ourselves the way we should. And so, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Absolutely. And that's promoting true holistic care. Yep. And oh, my gosh. I'm all revitalized now. I need to go. I'm going to go get some seeds and I'm going to tell everyone. You should do now. that. You should do that. I mean, approaching life, like you just said, intentionally and waiting to see what grows mm -hmm. is what we need to keep in mind every time we get up out of bed, even if we don't want to. Yep. Exactly right. Someone's got to go out there and hold those weeds, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what kind of weed it is. Yep, exactly. Awesome. Well, in the last couple of minutes, do you have anything else you'd like to share? I just want to appreciate your program there and going out and talking to the community. I think sometimes we seem to be bottlenecked and we don't talk about health the way we should talk about it. I think too many times we rely upon the inventation of Western medicine when a lot of our medicine lies within who we are as indigenous people. And I think mm -hmm. that's half of our struggle, to be honest with you. I mean, so the substance abuse, things like that, that we often turn to to help our own lack of coping skills because we've been removed for such a long time. I think there's we still have that strong heartbeat. And I think if I leave anything with anybody is to figure out where you're from, what you believe in, and then thrive in the thrive in that beautiful space. Base. Thrive in what's yours, what you own, and able to relay that message to other people. Because I'm telling you, once you show that own light within yourself, there's other people that are going to want that light too. So it's not always about the darkness, my friend. It's about the light, and that light is created through things like hope. And so that's all I want to say. Absolutely. It's contagious. Yep. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. I'm excited. I'm passionate. I'm excited to move forward from this interview and take care of myself and take care of others. So thank you so much for sharing that and sharing it to our listeners too. Thank you everyone for joining Tribal Health, the podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Tribal Health, the podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For the show notes, resources, and more, please visit podcast.tribalhealth.com. If you want to learn more about how Tribal Health can be a solution to health disparities, 
please visit us at www.tribalhealth.com. Thank you.